We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. If I ask you the question, what do you stand for? My mother had a magnetic sticker that goes on the refrigerator. And I'll never forget. It said, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. So I walk by it all the time. Stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And when I'm a little, little boy looking up to that, I didn't really know what that meant. But as I've gotten older, that's applied a lot of times in my life. Am I willing to stand for what I know is right, for wholesomeness and decency, for the righteousness of God's word, right and wrong? Am I willing to stand or will I fall for anything? Uh, Many of you probably have gone through the same similar uh, education maybe that I have and some of you going through it right now. There's different ways to teach all different types of subjects. But in uh, most of my early education, I'm talking about um, first grade through high school, uh, I was taught to memorize. I was taught to memorize. So if I could memorize facts and I could regurgitate those facts on a test, I made good grades. We were not taught in uh, the place where I was at to think critically. I heard the story of some young, very attractive young ladies, and they were called in by a modeling agency, and they were all offered jobs, and they, were, they placed uh, contracts in front of them, and they were asked to sign those contracts, and those young ladies were so excited. They had their whole future ahead of them, their whole lives ahead of them, and uh, they just couldn't wait, so they just signed all those papers and signed them all, and and then when they got through, the person that had given those papers said, I want you to read what you just signed. And it was outrageous things that they had signed. How many of you read the, the iPhone agreement? Come on, we're in church. Now, how many of you? Raise your hand. You're going to agree to the terms of Apple, aren't you? Do you read all those? Do you send them to a lawyer to, to check all of them out? What we do a lot of times is we quickly, because we don't want to be inconvenienced, we just punch that agree. Well, those young ladies had done that, and they had signed their life away. And that person told them, I did this on purpose, so you'll never, ever do something like that again. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Now, I'm gullible, I have to admit. If you come up to me and you tell me something, especially with a straight face, I'm going to believe you. I'm the worst in the world. You can trick me about anything. You could tell me aliens landed on the, on the top of the church, and if you're not smiling, I'm going to probably believe you for a little while. I'm just that way. And then uh, finally, I have to understand that you were telling me something that was supposed to be funny. In school, some of you probably, though, were taught to think critically. How many of you could say that? I was taught to be a critical thinker. What I mean by that, and you know, it doesn't mean critical to criticize, but it's to critique. If somebody tells you something, you, we know God's word is true. The Bible says, let the Lord be true, though every man be a liar. Now, not every man, woman, and child is going to tell the truth, but we know God is. But apart from his word and apart from the Lord, when we're told something, do you think about that? Do you critically think about that? You, you don't act quickly. You think about the consequences. The, uh, what does this mean? Is it true? Does it line up with what I know, the values that I know to be right? 
I literally was not taught that in my education. Uh, later on in college, I was challenged to do that, but uh, early I was not. Some of you educators probably say, well, we do that very well today, and I'm thankful uh, if that is taking place. But we need to be careful that we don't make a decision too quickly. We form our world uh, view uh, just because someone says something. My dad, my mom, born in 1917, 1920, if it was in print, they believed it. Why? Because we could. We could back then. You really could trust news organizations a lot more than we can today. And I'm not being critical. Some of you might be taking journalism and headed into that field. Just be an honest one and, and, and uh, change the world. But we've got to be careful that we don't, just because someone says something, we don't believe it because all things are not the way they appear to be. Uh, again, I'm not talking about being critical, a critical thinker. Don't have a critical spirit. If you want to run every other human off and uh, have spiritual BO, like Tommy calls it, criticize everybody. Now, you may find fault with them. We've got to be careful in a Bible church because a lot of times, if we're not careful, we recognize error because we're in the Bible so much uh, from other denominations and other churches. And if we're not careful, we get to be very critical. Uh, one person said they, 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 uh, they thought they were the God's sandpaper that we're going to sand all of our rough edges off. Nobody's called to do that. No other person is the Holy Spirit that convicts us. But critical thinking is to think with your mind, your heart, weigh those things out. The scripture says, count the cost in one passage. That's what he's talking about, to think about things. This passage that Jared read to us, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35, is talking about unity. Finish this statement. United we stand, divided we fall. We've heard that probably most of our lives. What is unity? Some people give a definition of unity as uniformity. We're going to talk about the difference in that. Uniformity. That just means everybody's the same. Cookie cutter. Boom, 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 boom. Everything is lined up and it's exactly the same. That's not unity. Uh, you and I are diverse. We are different. Praise God we are different. God made us different. I always think about uh, snowflakes, and, and the scientists tell us they've never found snowflakes that are the, uh, the same. And when you look at them closely, they're beautifully, masterfully made. And that is a testimony to God's amazing creating power. Well, you and I are that same way. We don't have the same fingerprints. Is that not amazing? Now, think about the billions of people that have lived. Surely, some of them were, uh, had to be duplicated. We had to start over, didn't we? No. Because we're unique, we're diverse. Does being diverse keep us from being unified? No. I can promise you, you like some foods I don't like. It would not hurt my feelings if cauliflower was never invented. It would not hurt my feelings if it was never, ever uh, something that ever uh, showed up and ever cooked uh, the way it smells, I don't know how anybody can eat it because of the way, I won't go any further. But I'll bet some of you like it. 
We are different. We dress differently. We, we look differently. We have different uh, opinions about things. And God never told us to not be like that. So we want to look to, in this passage tonight, and I want to talk to you about unity. Uh, in our founding father statements, the preamble to the Constitution, in order to form a more perfect what? Union. Those guys realized we as a country need to be unified. Do we need to be unified today in the United States? I would say that we need some unity. But we've got to be careful. How many of you are uh, piano players? I asked a lady earlier. She is. Thank you for that. Uh, the, right over there. Uh, so, 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 so. Okay. Um, A.W. Tozer said, if you tune 100 p p pianos with the same tuning device, they'll all be in tune with each other. Have you ever thought about that? Now, if you tune one piano to the next piano, to the next piano, Tony, what could happen if we did that? We went to 100? Yeah, it could be just a little bit off on the fourth one, and then the 16th one could be a little bit off, and then the 27th one and the 80th one, and pretty soon you went to the 100th one and played the same note as the first one, and it, it would sound different. But if you tune 100 pianos to the same tuning instrument, they're in tune with that instrument, and thereby they are unified. They're all in tune with each other. And that's the way God intends the church to be. He wants unity with diversity. We ought to look different. We ought to talk differently in a lot of ways. We ought to like and have different preferences in, in different ways, but we ought to be unified. Now, Spurgeon said something, and I, I want to say these things before I start reading. Um, a lot of Christians in churches say that we must unite regardless of belief and regardless of doctrine. In other words, that would be like Bible church here. We believe the scripture is inspired and fallible. It is. It's without error. We believe it literally and spiritually, verbal, plenary. Uh, we believe the words are inspired by God, verbal, plenary, inspiration. But not all places that have a steeple on their building believe that. Some people say all the churches just ought to get together and we ought to unify well, I want to ask you, have you heard of places called churches now that believe everything under the sun? Are we supposed to reach across the, the, the fences and shake hands and agree? Here's what, what Spurgeon said. To remain divided is sinful. Did not our Lord pray that they may be one even as we are one? Remember in John 17, make them one as we are. And he says, a chorus of ecumenical voices keep harping the unity tune. What they're saying is, Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization regardless. Unite, unite. And Spurgeon says, such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must, must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Very important. John the Apostle wrote in uh, the book of 1 John, if we walk in the light... As he, Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If we're tuned to the same tuning instrument, we'll all be in tune together. And so this passage is going to talk about unity. In essentials, we don't need to abuse this, 
But in essentials, we need to have unity. In preferences, we need to have liberty. You might like one instrument up here on the stage better than the other one. Well, I might like one differently than you like that. We need to bear one another with one another, prefer one another, count others better. I need to realize and respect you for what you like that I don't necessarily like, unless it's, it's a cauliflower. <laughs> no, I, I still respect you. Don't understand you, but if you like it, but, uh, but in essentials, we need unity. In differences, we need liberty, but in all things, we need charity. We need to love each other. We need to love each other. Um, let me read three different verses. Psalm 133, 1. I bet you've memorized it, some of you. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brother, brethren to dwell together in unity. Unify. Everybody on the same page, pulling in the same direction. Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 4.13 Ephesians, till we all come in the unity of the faith. You don't need to agree with me and I agree with you. If we agree with God, we'll be in unity with one another. Um, Jesus taught in his doctrine much about being unified in Christ. Chuck Swindoll said, union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. You can be a part of a union. You might work for a grocery store and you have joined a union. You have some common things you've agreed on, but you don't have the same heart. Union. Secondly, uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Uniformity is we're all going to dress alike, we're all going to talk alike, walk alike, and that is a cookie-cutter mentality. Everybody's going to be the same. That is not unity. And then he said... Uh, Unity, however, refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine. I was sitting in a church one time, and the still had a choir, kind of old school uh, type church, had a choir director that stood there directing them, uh, smaller than, than what we have here at Denton Bible, and a piano player that was only music uh, instrument that they had. So when it came time to do their anthem for the Sunday morning, I might have already told you this, for their anthem, they all were instructed to sing their favorite hymn. The piano player was instructed, you play your favorite hymn, and everybody else, you sing whichever your favorite hymn was. So can you imagine what that sounded like? We were looking, and I looked over there at my wife, and I looked, I'm thinking, did I miss an announcement or something? And it was the wildest sound you've ever heard. There were people singing Blessed Assurance and Amazing Grace and Just As I Am, and the piano player was singing something different. Everybody was singing on a different key, a different words, and a different song. And then the choir director afterwards told us what he had done. It was an experiment to show us. If you're on a football team, uh, how important is it that you all run the same play? Is that important? It is. So this passage, look with me there in chapter 3, is about unity and how you and I can be unified, tuned to the same tuning instrument. 
We don't get unified by unifying together with us. We get unified by unifying with Christ and then he makes us unified together. Look with me there, chapter three, verse 20. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. Home was probably uh, Capernaum where he had stayed a lot of the time with Peter's house, Andrew's house. Uh, I want you to realize, you ladies, do you know that God used ladies to minister to Jesus for three years, he and his apostles, fed them, opened up their homes. There were women of wealth, uh, women of faith that were early Christians were monumental in the beginning of the church. And uh, it's an amazing thing that God used a lot of ladies to care in this ministry, earthly ministry of Christ. But it said he came home. Home should be a place of safety, of rest, of comfort. Now, I realize it's not that. I talk to little children often, and, and they live in a, in a home life that is so frightening. They're afraid every day. They don't have enough food to eat. They're cold when it's cold outside. They're hot. They're afraid of parents that have addictions. There's violence in the home. And it literally breaks my heart. I know it does yours also. But home should be a place of safety and acceptance. It should be a place where the, the light's always on, the candle's in the window. You're always welcome. Billy Graham, at his funeral, one of his daughters spoke and uh, said some things about her own life. She said, I made some bad choices. I had a bad marriage. I chose to do things I shouldn't. And I just want to tell you about my dad. When my life was all messed up and I'd wrecked a lot of things and I, I came home. And what would you expect? Billy Graham, the evangelist, spoke the gospel and shared it with more people in history than anybody that we know of. Was he going to meet her at the driveway and say, I told you so, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done this, and you broke this commandment, you did this? And, and she said, my daddy, Billy Graham, turned to me and said, welcome home. He didn't have to tell her where she messed up. She knew it. But the father said, welcome home. When that prodigal son messed up, did the prodigal son's daddy have to tell him, this is what you did wrong. You made this choice wrong, this, this, this. We're going to write it out on a board. You're going to have to read these every day. No. He said, go kill the fatted calf. Get my ring. We're going to have, we're going to have a rejoicing here because my son was dead and now he's alive. So home should be a place of safety and peace. Even after, I'll bet, even after you have a fun vacation, if you've gone somewhere and you've had fun, isn't it good to get home? There's just something about getting back home. I got to go back to with my siblings yesterday with, uh, to have some Christmas celebration. And we talked about old times and told stories about each other. I found out my brothers don't always tell the stories that I tell the same way. After a few years, we've kind of altered them a little bit. And I said, that's not the way that happened. And they'll say, no, that's not the way it happened. But it sure was good to be home with people I know love me and I love them. And it said the crowd gathered again. I brought your attention to that a couple weeks ago because there's always a crowd following Jesus, but how many of them are following him for the right reasons? 
Most of them are following him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a pretty cool thing. He heals the blind man, the lame man. He fed 5,000 and fed 4,000 another time. Most of the crowd is following Jesus for what he can do for them. Do you have any friends like that? Do you have any friends that like you because they use you? Um, I'm looking at, uh, this is what y'all get for sitting up on the clothes. I'm looking at Kim Clark right here for sitting up close. Does anybody ever want to borrow your trailer? I learned a long time ago, if you have a pickup or a trailer, you are popular because they want to borrow it. They want to use it all the time. I had trailers and all kinds of things before we moved here. I sold every one of them. But do you have some friends like that that just want to use you? And that's the crowd that's following Jesus. Not everyone. Some of them are following him for the right reasons and they continue to follow him. But I want you to take your finger with me uh, and turn, leave your finger right there in Mark, but turn with me for a second to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. I just say this so you can realize this can happen in your church. Some of you attend other churches, those of you who are listening online. Philippians chapter two. I want you to think about those that are servants in your church. We sometimes uh, really expect a lot from other people. Would you agree? We expect a lot from other people. If you really want an exciting thing, become a uh, one pastor pastor of a small West Texas church and you don't have staff around you to do everything. You have to do everything. And I mean everything. And while you're doing something, part of the church is wondering why you're not doing something else while you're over here. And would you hurry up and get through with this because so you can be with this. And you need to be with the young people, so hurry up and get through with those older people. But why aren't you with the older people more? Because they need time with you. And why aren't you? And I, I, literally, and I love it. I wouldn't have traded my history for anything. But sometimes we expect a lot of people. And if we're not careful, we do that in the church. Look what, look what it says here in Philippians chapter 2 about a person. Uh, verse 25. Paul is writing back to the church at Philippi. And he, he's writing about a man here that is serving in the church. And he says, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So this guy is a brother, he's a worker, he's a soldier, he helps the church and he helps Paul, a minister. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. I love that. He was very concerned about the church because they were worried about him because he was sick. Now that's a servant. He was worried about those who were worried about him. And notice what it says. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of what? Death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. This guy had worked himself in the church ministering so much, he almost died from it physically. And so we've got to be careful that we don't expect too much of someone serving in the church. Run alongside them and help them, and we don't need to wear them out, burn them out.
Jesus came home, the crowd gathered again, and they gathered so much that he couldn't even eat a meal. Wow, it would be great if they were all there to hear the gospel. Oh, Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to heal me. Just would you forgive my sins? Would you change my life? Always remember there were two men dying on crosses next to Jesus. Both of them wanted salvation. Did you know that? One of them wanted salvation from the nails. One of them wanted salvation from his sins. And so that's what you can tell about when crowds follow Jesus. Verse 21, when his own people heard of this, now our, our people, our people, you've got people, don't you? I love it when somebody says, hey, we need to get together and have a lunch together. We'll talk about a meet. Well, you tell your people to get a hold of my people. I'm not that important, so I don't have people like that. But it says here, his own people heard of this. They went out to take custody of him for they were saying he's lost his senses. Instead of saying, get these crowds away from Jesus, they're going to wear him out. He got sick just like you and I. He got tired just like you and I do because he was human. They say, Jesus must have lost his mind. We need to go get him and take him away. Uh, many of you probably have studied C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, The, the Great Divorce, um, in seminary, I had to write a letter to my tempter, and I told him I didn't want to do it. Because <laughs> you have to write a letter to like a demon or someone, the devil, who's tempting you to sin. And I really didn't want to do it. But did you know what? That was one of the easiest letters I've ever written. Because I know my, my, my weaknesses. I know my temptations. Um, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, um, very entertaining, a lot of truth in there. But C.S. Lewis is famous for saying Jesus was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. You remember what he, when he talked about that? Either Jesus believes that he's the Son of God and all these things he said about himself, but he's crazy. And that's what these people, we're going to go take custody of Jesus because he's lost his senses. He is out of his mind, a lunatic. Or he's lying. Wow, that's some kind of lie. 2,000 years later, we're worshiping him and all those apostles gave their lives for him. And oh, by the way, he did raise from the dead. Uh, a liar doesn't uh, raise himself from the dead and a lunatic doesn't do that either. And C.S. Lewis said he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to God. So Jesus was either crazy or he was lying, and he knew he was lying, or he was who he said he was. And we know he was the Lord. But even some of his own people, and I just read that and emphasize it so that we all realize sometime in your life, you're going to follow Christ doing something, and your family's not going to understand. I've been there many times. My family didn't understand. You follow Christ, you follow Jesus, you follow God's word, and it'll be well with you. Verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. That's a name for, uh, for Satan. He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Why would this be important? Because if they could convince people that Jesus was of the devil, he called himself God, 
he could be guilty of blasphemy, they could kill him. Blasphemy was a capital offense, claiming to be God, and they could execute him. So they wanted to trick him and try to prove that he was the devil because he was saying that he was of God. Verse 23, he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. United we stand, divided we fall. A kingdom can be divided. A country can be divided. Amen? A church can be divided. A house can be divided. A man or a woman can be divided. I knew a man that told me, I thought I could live two different lives. I thought I could live two different lives. An individual, any kind of group can be divided. A seminary, there's seminaries all over our land right now. And because they're being pressured to cave in and not hold of God's Bible, they're divided. Their staffs are divided. Herman Edwards was a coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. We've got any Chiefs fans? Pretty cool right now, isn't it? They're pretty good. Uh, are you a, a Mahomie? A Mahomie? I thought you might be. When it came to thoughts on teamwork and unity, he, he said this. The players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not for the name on the back of the jersey. Isn't that cool? If you're going to play on my team, Kansas City Chiefs, this was a former coach, you're going to play for the name on the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. We had a man come that had been a part of this church before, great football player. He had actually played just a little while for the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you remember, um, Reggie White played for them for a little while. Reggie White, big, great, big man, the minister of defense. Calvin Clark that's on our staff played with him and great good friends of him before he passed away. And this man was telling us in staff uh, last year, he said, let me tell you something that happened. Last story I'll tell. He was really funny to listen to, but the last story I'll tell. He said, here I was, and I was getting a tryout and to play maybe uh, to join the Philadelphia Eagles. And I was so excited. I'd come from college. I was so excited. And I had my jersey on, and I, I walked into the... Uh, to the locker room, and there was Reggie White. And Reggie White, if you don't know, was a big man. He was an authoritative figure, uh, just, and he was a godly man that loved the Lord. But he said, Reggie White looked at me, and he said, boy, come here. And this guy's describing this, and he's just like he's shaking, you know. He's the young guy in there, and he walked over there. He said, me? And he says, yeah, you. You come over here. And he walked over to Reggie White. And Reggie White grabbed him right there and just twisted his jersey. And he thinks, I'm not going to live through the day. And Reggie White said to him, son, your jersey's on backwards. <laughs> now, I thought, that's the kind of thing that would happen to me, you know. This guy was so intimidated because of who Reggie White was. And Reggie White was a fine, fine Christian man. They were brothers. They were brothers. And Reggie White wanted him to play for the same team. And if you're going to play for the same team, you've got to have your uniform on the right way. Jesus says here, through the scripture, they came to get Jesus. They thought, some people thought he lost his senses. He hadn't lost anything. He said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If you're saying I'm doing miracles by the power of the devil, 
I tell you that I'm doing against the devil. He is against God. We're not on the same page. We're not on the same side. Verse 25, if a house divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. There's a bold statement made by the Soviet Union back in the 19, late 50s, early 60s, I believe. And they said, the United States will be communists. We have no doubt. We will not have to fight against them. And they had a plan. You probably read, read it. They, they were going to infiltrate. And they said, we will divide the people of the United States. And they will end up being communists. The way to destroy something is divide and conquer. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. A kingdom should not be divided. A church should not be divided. A people, a family, a marriage, a husband and wife ought to be unified. There's diversity. Uh, my wife likes a lot of things that I don't. I like things that she doesn't, but I love her. We're unified, and I want to go and do some of the things she likes to do. She wants to do some of those things for me. We're diverse, we're different, but we're unified. And that's what the church ought to be. You ought not to be uniformity. That's what's without critical thinking. Uh, in the book of Acts, who are the people that after the gospel was preached to them, the scripture says, they went and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Who was that group of people? The Bereans. They didn't just take somebody's word for it. They went and searched the Bible to see if that was true. And you and I need to do that too. And when we tune to the same tuning device, we'll all be unified. Isn't that cool? Well, they go on, and he says in verse 27, uh, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds a strong man, and then he'll plunder his house. I used to wonder, what does that mean? Who's the strong man? Is the guy who owns the house a strong man? Is God the strong man? Who is? Uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, Satan's a strong man. His house is the realm of sin, sickness, demon possession, death. His possessions are people who are enslaved by one or more of those things. Demons are his agents who carry out his diabolical activity. No one can enter into his realm to carry off his possessions. In other words, before we become a Christian, we are under the power of the enemy. The God of this world, that's Satan. And he has us in control. Someone has to go into the house and, and bind the strong man. Somebody has to be stronger than Satan to deliver us as sinful, broken, dead, spiritually people and uh, rescue us out of that house. And that's what Christ does. He binds the strong man. He plunders his house. To plunder is to take everything out of it. And you and I have been part of that, that Christ has come and redeemed us. I love that. Um, verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever uh, blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. What they were doing there, they were attributing the works of God to Satan. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit, but they were saying he's doing it by the devil's power. Uh, I've known Christians that have been afraid they're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but they can't. If they are a Christian, they love Christ. You won't because you've already accepted him. You've already trusted him. Uh, if someone ultimately rejects Jesus Christ and they say no to the wooing of the Holy Spirit and rejects Christ finally, that's, that's when there'll be no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness because there's no repentance there. And then in the same passage, Jesus is saying, you can't have a divided house. We need unity. We need to be in the, on the same page, running the same play. We need to be joined together, believe in the same things. That's why we have our Bible. That's why we have the Holy Spirit that keeps us one. Long time ago, they are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Remember that one? That's talking about unity of the church. I heard a man uh, speak in the Romanian tongue one time. And I was so overwhelmed and moved by his message. And I didn't understand one word he said. But I saw his heart while he was speaking God's word. And we had an interpreter that uh, later told us what he said. And I went and told that man, tell him, please, I didn't understand one word with my ear, but I understood everything with my heart. Because although he was from Romania, spoke a different language, looked differently than I do, we were brothers because we were tuned to the same tuning device, Jesus and God's word. Well, what about family? Verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. Uh, I don't know about you, but when my mom or dad called me, I would usually come running. My dad was a big man, and you didn't say no to him, and I respected and loved my mom, and I didn't, uh, didn't want to say no to her. So when my parents called, uh, we always almost usually came running. And they called Jesus and said a crowd was sitting around him. They said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Now, Jesus isn't being rude. He's not being disrespectful. He's going to teach a lesson on unity. He says here, looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, and mother. You know what Jesus did? Who is my mother and my brothers? They're looking for me. I tell you, all these people here. It'd be just like him saying this to us here today. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mom. You're my dad. I tell you all the time, you are part of my family. That's why I want you to know what's going on in our family. You know, I want you to know about uh, the little grandbaby, and he's, he's just awesome, by the way. Speaking two languages, running marathons already. He's seven months old and just uh, not quite there yet. But I want you to know. I want you to know my struggles. I used to never be transparent. I thought that was a sign of weakness. Until I read in the Bible that I'm supposed to confess my faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And that's not a sign of weakness. We need each other. And here he's saying... Not being disrespectful to his mom or his brothers, but he said, I'm telling you, all the people that do God's will are part of my family. We're unified. We're joined together. But we don't look alike. He didn't, he didn't care about that. We, we didn't come from the same place. It doesn't matter. We aren't educated the same. We don't have the same things. We, 
We're so diverse and so different. And Jesus said, no, if you do the will of my father, you're my family. You're my brothers, sisters, and you're my mom. That's where spiritual unity comes. The Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I have two, two uh, earthly brothers, one older, one younger. Uh, I've mentioned before that my older brother taught me how to treat my younger brother. Uh, not always well, but he taught me a lot of things how to treat a younger brother. Uh, I got to be with him yesterday. Both of them are fine Christian men, but they are my brothers in a different way than just being related to me physically. They're my spiritual brothers. And I was with them, my older brother, when he first confessed Christ and prayed to receive him. I was with him. And my little brother, when he went forward at a, in a football stadium to give his life to Christ. They're my brothers, but they're my brothers. And that's the brother, that's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood. Rocky and Dean are not my spiritual brothers because we have the same parents. We're not born of blood into this unity. Nor of the will of the flesh. They didn't figure out how to get to be related to me. We didn't all just figure it out someday and we're going to choose to do it. Nor the will of man. We didn't work ourselves up to it by some deed that we could do. But the ones that are brothers and the children of God, it says, but they're born of God. We don't get to be a brother or sister in Christ by our blood type. We get to be a brother or sister in Christ because we're tuned to the same tuning device. Jesus and God's word. Brothers and sisters, we need to do, and that's why I want to call you, brothers and sisters. We need to do our part to be unified. It is easy to divide. Would you agree with me? We can divide up over anything. We can divide up over the car that we drive and the clothes that we wear, the music we listen to. We can divide, divide, divide. But we as a church need to be brothers and sisters. We need to be family. We need to be united. United we stand, divided we fall. We're Christians, and that says it all. Unity with diversity. Two illustrations as we close. How many of you have seen the redwoods in California? I'm jealous. I'm jealous. The sequoias and the redwoods. Um, some of those redwoods stand over 300 feet ta uh, tall. Some of them uh, are over 2,500 years old. That just blows my mind. Before Christ walked here on the earth, some of those trees we're alive. They're large enough. My mother told us that she drove a car through one of those trees. And I was just fascinated by that when I was a little boy. For them to grow so large, to last so long, you would think to stand so tall over 300 feet, you would think their roots must go down a long way. For them to be able to go 300 feet up, they must go down a long way. But did you know that that is not the case? The redwoods and the, the sequoia's roots, some of them are, are six to 10 feet only under the ground. And you may say, well, how in the world could they last that long, live that long, not get toppled over by the storms? You know why? All of those roots are interconnected. They are entwined with all the trees around them. They're not deep, they are 
roped together by God's creation so that every tree is held up, strengthened, fortified by every other tree. And I thought, what a great illustration of what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be interconnected. Paul wrote that every joint supplies the church growing to a habitation of God in the spirit by you being in place and me being in place and you being in place. We're all interconnected, intertwined. And because we're unified, that gives us strength. So I want to encourage you. We've got plenty of storms of life. We've got them and we always will till the day we go home like Earl Schaefer. But seek for unity. Seek to be a unifier instead of a divider and God will bless you for it. The last thing, Jesus' family needed to be part of the church. Some of his brothers didn't even believe who he was in the beginning. They had to come to know him later. Unity came when they believed Jesus. The crowd that came after Jesus, some of them were just after a miracle, but some of them believed and they became unified when they believed what Jesus said. You and I here tonight, we become unified around the Bible, around God's word. When we agree with him, we become unified because we're tuned to the same tuning device. My last question for you is how many of you have taught uh, Sunday school with little children before? God bless you, God bless you. You need a trophy, a ribbon, you need a a gift. No, it's some of the most uh, wonderful things that I've ever done before. What would you have done? A lady was teaching the old, here's the church, here's the steeple. You remember that? Open the doors, where are the people? The little children just love that. And then you have, I have to think about it. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, there's all the people. Well, she was deciding to teach about unity and everybody being important in the church. And so she taught them all that and got their hands ready. And she actually looked and in her Sunday school class was a boy with one arm. What would you do? You've already taught the lesson. You're going to illustrate it. Get your hands ready, little children. What would you do? And she said one of the greatest things she had ever seen happen next. The little girl sitting next to that boy took her hand and put it over next to his and said, come on, let's make the church together. Is that not cool? Well, I say to you, brothers and sisters, come on. Let's make the church together. Tuned to the same tuning device, Jesus Christ and his word and nothing else. Critically thinking, we think things through to search the scriptures if they are that way. And when we know that that's what God wants, we are unified. And I pray that this year will be a year that we see God multiply that. Mark, would you come with your team and close us here today? Unity. United we stand. Divided we fall. And Jesus is the one who unites us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage in Mark. We're excited to read these words because Mark was excited to write them. He wanted to tell these stories and these events that took place. And I know, Jesus, we know that your family didn't understand at first. Many of the disciples didn't understand, just like we wouldn't have understood either. But those that walked with you and were faithful, you opened their eyes and you opened their hearts and you gave them faith to believe. 
and everyone that believed you, you tuned them to the same tuning device and they were unified. And Father, I pray, thanking you for these people on Sunday night at Denton Bible Church. I ask you, Father, to hear the prayer of your son again in John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed, Father, make them one even as we are one. Unify them. Oh, Father, please do that. In our church and churches around our land, we thank you for this passage in Jesus' name. Amen.